Hello and welcome back to our latest podcast in the Tap Talks HR series. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. This time we're talking to Mark Stringer, lecturer in the De- Department of Organisational Psychology at Birkbeck, the University of London, about human capital theory and employee well-being, and is this ever likely to work? Hi Mark, welcome. Hi Anthony. Um, as always, a very interesting title and a very provocative title. So, human capital theory and employee well-being, is this ever likely to work? Do you want to elaborate on, on what you're... What today mm. we're going to be talking about? Yeah, um, as yeah, I think what interests me about this, the, these, these topics, and certainly about the idea of of well-being, is from an organisational point of view, what organisations are hoping to achieve in terms of well-being, what they mean by well-being, and hopefully by the end of this short segment, you know, for for people to actually go back and start questioning that in terms of, of that from an organisational point of view. And the lens that I like to look at it through is the concept of, of human capital theory. So the theory that we are we are all responsible for our own development, our own well-being within organisational life, that our own development is, is key to our own success and that's what's expected of us. However, gone are the days of the kind of paternalistic uh, organizational life where they will pay for your development because why would they want the organization want to do that because if they pay for that they will you can easily go and work somewhere else and you've taken all that knowledge skills and um, abilities with you so in its basic terms human capital theory is, is saying well actually do you know what each individual really needs to be uh, responsible for their own life and their own development etc etc and What's interesting about that, uh, from from my point of view in organisational life, is how that impacts on the concept of of well-being. Because in an age now where the kind of employment models have changed radically, the free market economy, for example, of which human capital theory came out from the 60s, from the kind of part of the neoliberalistic move towards individualisation and and deregulation, Um, you know, it's what this is taking place, but at what cost? And it's interesting that organisations do look at well-being, and well-being is one of those concepts which can cover a whole mass of of items. And so it's quite, you know, you can't really kind of pinpoint one thing which is well-being. But what what I like to use the kind of that's why it's useful to have something like a lens like human capital theory because it's, it comes down to the kind of individual requirements of of, of, of those who are working to make sure that they are well to go to work against a background that for example if you're in a zero hours contract you never know when that light is likely to be so the anxiety that comes with that the idea of having to have uh, be part of the gig economy so maybe holding three or four different roles at any different times so the cognitive dissonance which that takes place again still not knowing a couple of those might be zero hours contract you don't know where you can need to be or what's going on but at the same time being able to provide or have the tools yourself you know, the uniforms, the knowledge, maybe the, the learning to go and drive a car or deliver parcels or at the same time go and work in, in different environments. So that, again, does impact on, on people's kind of well-being or their overarching kind of sense of who they are and where they are. But at the same time, from a human capital point of view, saying, well, all of that, you have to make sure that you've got all that covered in order to even begin to work for us or not work for us at our behest so from that point of view it's the question of 
and so that's that's covering that from a from a sort of, sort of more mature organisational point of view, where there, there's the designated jobs and structures and etc. I think it's interesting to see a kind of a, a, a way in which organisations are bringing in things such as you know Fitbits and giving their staff ways in which they can record their their uh, their health and heartbeat etc etc. And there's, there's evidence, I think Amazon do this and uh, other companies have started to do this, they're actually collating that data about their staff, about how their health and well-being, which then starts to bring up a whole very worrying trend of, can you imagine sitting down at your next performance review and saying, well, actually, we noticed that um, your heart rate and all your, your well-being, all your health indicators impacted on your work. You know, and it becomes... A point where the organisations and is saying, well, you know, we we we've, we want all of you. It's that, that whole your body as well, and your body has to be in tip-top condition. And it's, so it's that sense of, well, if it's not that great, so who's who's going to who's going to be losing out? So we're, none of us are all entirely healthy all the time. So again, it brings in another mark or another way of maybe managing out people who aren't you know as well as someone else you know so it impacts on things like diversity inclusion so how do we so I think it's it's again it's just a, an alarm bell for me really in terms of well-being is seen to be seen as a very you know, going back to the idea of paternalistic and very kind of thoughtful way of saying to uh, employees we, we care about you there is an argument that says actually it can become misconstrued and, and, and uh, used in a different way or seen it, with technology it could, could be used in a, it starts to be seen to be used in a different more kind of control and power way uh, in terms of for an organisational life so it's if, for me it's just it's, it's that kind of sense and there was a really good book that came out last year by Carl Sagerstrom and Andre Spicer who um, looked at how they, they followed lots of the fads and a lot of the kind of issues and spent a year doing this and nearly killed themselves in the process because they went through all sorts of things and uh, they're both professors in organisational change etc uh, at various universities and it was just to understand what it is that kind of the pressure that um, in organisational life that people are under in order to perform to hit deadlines to be seen to be part of a team to talk part of a culture uh, but at the same time, not really having the kind of support that was seemingly or seemingly there or was there, you know, a, a few decades ago. So it's that sense of, on one hand, the kind of maybe the illusion of being free agents and being control of your destiny and and being able to have many multifarious jobs, and but at the same time, what cost is that? Uh, for, on people's health and I think the kind of rise in anxiety depression or the reporting of it and understanding what that means is is interesting because I think that from a from a workplace and our productivity etc so it's it they all do interlink and I think it's from an HR point of view it's just useful to actually stand back you think of implementing a well-being program again start off and say well what do we mean by well-being what do we mean that you know, what, what is the objectives of that are we being completely honest and transparent and fair about what that means? And what, what does it mean for those people that, um, uh, you know, who are taking part or indeed the people who aren't taking part or don't want to take part? Do they, does that mean that they are not somehow part of the gang? Or is, that just, is there a right that, about well-being? So is it just another facet of human 
being that the kind of organisations want to kind of commodify. It, and again, there's it, so many points there. It's, it's, uh, from my point of view, it, 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 when you were saying that last bit there, I was thinking about wellbeing programs where I've been near or part of organisations who start a wellbeing program and, and essentially year one is flexible benefits. Um, yeah, and yeah. But actually what we're saying here, because our lives are becoming much more part of turmoil and, and we're holding down more than one job and our hours are very long so we don't see our families as much and everything, really mental well-being is, mm. is, is probably the biggest challenge we're facing mm. in modern times mm. as we have to become so flexible, so adaptable as employees or workers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and the pressure that then builds on the individual. And because of the way in which you know, the, uh, the human cat theory is, is about the individual. The focus is on us as individuals. And that's quite alienating because then we're thinking, well, how do we manage that? So if we're alienated, and we are, we, we are becoming you know, more alienated because we contact each other through Facebook or email or texts. And like you say, we don't see our families or... Um, you know, we don't speak to each other out in the streets. It's all in the tubes. You know, we have to wear badges saying, you know, I'll, I'll have you know, have a conversation with me on the tube. You know, mm. ideally, that's the last person you probably want to have a conversation <laughs> with on the tube because the, if the, uh, uh, joking aside, but it, you know, it's that kind of sense of from a mental point of view, you are driven, or seemingly, there's no way to say that we are being you know driven down into this very insular world which is, as you say, the, the kind of mental processing and the mental burden that we're having to, to take with us about ensuring that we are keeping our skills levels up, that we are keeping fit, that we are able to hold down different jobs, that we can be in different places at different times because people may want us to do things. Again, it comes to that locus of control and that cognitive dissonance on a constant basis is, is I'll argue, is, is very detrimental to people's well-being. And not having boundaries, technology is a terrible thing for that. It's about you know saying that you know to be available anywhere on email or, or, or conversations or expectations. So again, it's about employers and, and organisations taking responsibility for that and saying it's okay. We don't expect you to be um, you know contactable twenty four seven, and we, and really mean it. For example, mm. so that, that's part you know part so it's the mental health as well as the physical health. So yeah, they they and you know. I think I was saying to you earlier, the, the term holistic really should be not used. It's, I find that a, a really kind of a bit of a cop out and a very kind of empty signifier for things. A holistic mean doesn't doesn't mean anything really. So you know, in terms of in terms of well-being, I think it's just again a useful lens to look at it and to take a stand back from an HR point of view and say, well, how morally, ethically, and from a transparent point of view, we know we need to do things. Um, but how do we do it in a way which is meaningful um, and which is actually going to have some impact for individuals to allow them as parts not only of the, of the organisation but of society in general to actually function as a human being who you know, isn't entirely burdened by or many of the things we've, we've talked about. Um, and that's going to be hard and not going to be easy because I think it's again... For a lot of employers, the idea of zero contracts and flexible working is, is an absolute boon because costs-wise, it, it manages the cost very nicely. But the costs, non-financial, well, I think they're probably even higher. 
So, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? What's on the uh, what's on the P and L, and what's not on the P and L of an organisation quite often dictates what's going to happen. And, and and quite often, the more short termism than long termism of the view about what can we do in in the time we have before either shareholders mm. ask challenge us back, kind of thing. So. Obviously, not wanting to paint a gloomy picture of, of society in, in this year, etc. Um, but uh, thinking about HR professionals, thinking about business leaders who might be listening into this now, I'm, I'm starting to think around like um, the team leader, the line manager. They have a big impact on mm. this mental well-being of part of the well-being. Uh, is, do you think there's a role there for for? making sure that our leaders are the best they can be to, to keep the mental well-being going of our teams? I think that's part of it. I think mm-hmm. the, um, the interactions that, um, you know, the kind of the, the smallest interaction or the smallest line between interaction between workers and managers, team leaders, however you want to put it, um, and the role modelling which, which goes on and the, the buffering which those, those roles should be able to do for people. And, and the knowledge, and not to be scared, I think part of certainly the kind of the, the mental health issues, a lot of people are still scared by that. Um, so if you're managing people, um, it, it's, you know, a sense of how do I understand this? What can I do? How can I, how can I um, you know, show people like, the ways to go and find resources? I think a lot of times as a manager, you think, well, I should know this because I'm, I'm a human being. And certainly from an HR point of view, I think that's... Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's my experience is because if you work in HR, somehow you should be should know everything about every single human being, mm. which is a burden itself on HR. I mean, how could you possibly do that? You know, um, from a human point of view. So I think role modelling, the, the changing cultural leadership is, is an important thing. We talked about change in, in the other conversation we had. So I think it's about that real kind of sense of giving people the tools and understanding and to realize that you know we're all a bit messed up and that's fine um it's just how do we how do we train develop people and give them the confidence to deal with things and to know where to direct people to and that they say it's not a stigma so again it touches upon inclusion and diversity programs for example and those type of things as well because it's kind of the neuro um, dynamics of individuals, um, ADHD or whatever, you know, it's again, it's like how do we help manage those you know, neurodiversity? It's about what do we do about that? How can we help manage that? There's nothing to be frightened of. And I think that kind of breaking down of the stigmas is, is on its way. It's, there, there is progress, absolutely. More needs to be done, obviously. But I think it's that from an HR point of view is to really get into that nitty gritty and to be honest with themselves and say, well, rather than setting out a program that looks quite nice and says can be demonstrated in a CSR program or a shareholder thing where yes we've got a well-being program which means that X, Y and Z happens on a Tuesday nice but what does that mean? What does it actually mean in terms of understanding what people get out of it what people want communication it comes to comes down to again at the same time so 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 to try and summarize this because we we've seemed to have, have tracked around a little bit is um there, there's a bit there around really understanding what well-being means for your organization um about uh, equipping the people in the organization to feel confident to have 
conversations around maybe some of the more tricky areas of well-being and mental well-being. There's, um, we touched on inclusion, as in diversity inclusion, and, and that sense of belonging to an organisation, that that is something we can work on. And also thinking right back to actually what the role of the organisation is to actually support the individual and actually almost a psychological contract between the two. Yeah, certainly the psychological trap and and the the kind of the ethical and moral uh, demands from from the organisation in terms of its where it's at and how it would like to be perceived externally, um, and to maybe take a stand against issuing constant zero hour contracts and think about how do we our employment models how does it, how can we do better than that is that what what is the cost I think understanding the cost of that from not a financial point of view, mm. hence that's why the human capital theory comes back into it again. It's like, you know, it's just, knowledge, skills and attributes aren't just something which just sit in a KPI from a, you can't just monetize that, which mm. is what that tries to do and says, well, this is what we's got. It's like, well, okay, but what's that mean in reality? And I think that reality is becoming to be a little bit lost. If it's not lost, it's trying to be controlled, like I said earlier. Mm. And that's, again, it's trying to push it down this very kind of individualistic point of view. To so really we have a role as a, an, uh, a member of the society of our organisation to try and rethink why that, what that organisation is trying to do, but also a role in society to mm. say, actually, where are we now? Well, absolutely. And is that right where we are and what can we yeah. do about it? Yeah, absolutely. So why is a wider, wider, wider recognition of the fact that you know, we go to work, but we are, we are still members of a wider society? Okay, so there we are. I think we are up for time today, Mark. So... We are members of a wider society and we don't use the word holistic, is <laughs> what I've taken for this. Excellent. Um, thank you very much for your time, as always, Mark. Um, it's, it's great having you here. And thanks, everyone, for listening to these Tap Talk HR podcasts. Um, as always, um, if you've got any feedback, please do leave it in the comments of your podcast channel provider or contact us on social media or at tapsolutions.com. Um, I'm sure you'll hear from us again shortly. And thanks a lot and speak to you soon. Cheers.